0: Well, I don't know how Ron does it around here, but uh, I want to let you participate in the sermon this morning. And so hopefully you're sitting beside somebody that you're comfortable talking to. And if not, just do what I do at church and fake it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Here's the first question. Um, around 100 A.D., the church had been in existence uh, for about 70 years. And uh, those who can uh, do this kind of research have offered a best guess that at around 100 A.D., there were about 25,000 Christians worldwide. 25,000. Now, here's the question. The question is, is by the year 300, so a couple hundred years, how many Christians do you think existed at that time? I'm going to give you like eight seconds to give an answer. Look at somebody that you kind of like or that you want to like and give them a a number. I mean, for real, say something, make it up. Nobody's going to get kicked out for saying the wrong thing. 25,000 in 100 A.D., 200 years later, how many Christians are there? All right, here we go. Here's the answer. Best guess is about 20 million. About 20 million Christians. I know some of you uh, actually went beyond high school and uh, and took some history, and you're thinking, well, didn't the Roman Empire, didn't they just make everybody Christians at one place? Well, you're right, but you're about 15 years off. So that happened about 313. So up to this time, without any kind of formed Bible, bound Bible like we have, without any praise band, without uh, you know, any screens, the church managed to boom. Another situation, early 1900s in China. A couple million Christians uh, worshiping very much in a, a traditional style that the Western church was comfortable with. Early 1900s, you remember around the 1950s, there was a guy named Mao Tse Tung who came to power and kicked out Christian missionaries, took over church property, booted out church leadership, and a moment came in history called the bamboo curtain that kind of dropped, and the church and its support was lost. Late 70s, that bamboo curtain was raised. And so in the early nineteen hundreds there were two million or so, two, three million Christians in China as we know it. When that curtain came up in the late nineteen seventies, how many Christians do you think they found? Now, I'm gonna give you another five seconds to give your guess, best guess, and now you know we're talking crazy numbers, so shoot for the moon. How many you think? How many you think? Three million, two, three million, early nineteen hundreds, late seventies, how many we got? Best guess. Sixty million. 60 million in that short amount of time, the church just exploded. No paid clergy, um, no regular programs again, lost property. How in the world? Now, some of you are guessing because you've been to church before, and you're like, man, I know where this guy's going. Ron's told him to tell us to share our faith, or he's got some big uh, attendance drive he's going after. Well, no, i tell you what's amazing to me about those numbers. It's not about the burden of only going out and sharing my faith. That's certainly there. Here's what I don't get. Where does the power to have that kind of dynamic, revolutionary explosion of spiritual growth, where in the world does that come from? I mean, I just don't expect that, experience that, most of the time in my life. I mean, what is the power source that without the kind of supports that I think the spiritual life needs... Uh, Just an explosion of powerful growth and spiritual development. And that's what we're looking at and thinking about this morning. And if you have a Bible or want to reach under your seat and grab a Bible, we're looking at a particular passage in a letter called 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it's a very personal letter if we were to read it all this morning and we won't. Read easy. Um, You would find it to be a very tender letter. It's a different kind of uh, letter than any other thing that you'll find in the Bible. It's different material. Primarily because it's written by the Apostle Paul to someone very, very dear to him, a person named Timothy. Timothy came to faith while a young boy under Paul's ministry. But more than that, Paul would call Timothy his son in the faith. And you can sense what kind of special relationship that they had. Timothy would lead his hometown and follow Paul for about 15 years and was his constant companion probably knew Paul better than anybody else, probably was more faithful to Paul than anyone else. And there came a time when Paul was going back to visit a church that he had planted in modern-day Turkey, a place called Ephesus. And he went back to check on this church, and um, the church was in absolute chaos. False teachers had come in, uh, messed up the thinking and the life of this church. And Paul couldn't stay long at this church, so he did the next best thing. If he couldn't stay, he decided... I'll leave Timothy here. And he looked at Timothy, who was probably in his early 30s at the time, and he said, listen, you've been with me, you know me, you've been trained. I want you to stay and leave this place. And 1 Timothy are some of the instructions that Paul gave him on how to grow that church. 2 Timothy is a letter that he wrote because Timothy was struggling mightily at this place. We think maybe Timothy from the letter was just very shy. He just didn't have a personality to get up in front of people and lead. He wasn't respected in that church. We think from Paul's writings that Timothy was kind of fragile in his health and was just beaten down by illness and sickness. But for whatever reason, Paul writes this letter to remind him of some crucial things that I think we need to be reminded of as well as we think about where does power come from? in our own spiritual life. I'm starting in verse 3 of chapter 1. And just listen to how many times Paul will use words like remember and recall. And I'm reminding you. He says in verse 3, I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you. So that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I'm persuaded it now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power Of love and of self discipline. And you can see what Paul is doing here to someone that he loves and to someone who's wobbling in leadership and struggling under the burden of his responsibilities and is just about to cave in. And he says, I know who you are. I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember where your faith came from. It was in your grandmother, it was in your mother, and it's in you. I want you to remember the gifts that you know that God put in your life so that you could do this task. And then he pivots and he brings all of us in this room into the message. He said, Timothy, I want you to remember the gifts that God has given you, but also remember this, and this is a message to the church throughout the ages. God has given all of us, in verse 7, some very specific things. Not a spirit of timidity or fear, but here's what we have. Power love and self-discipline and I want to spend just a few moments this morning reminding us of those gifts when Paul says we have the spirit of power what kind of power is he talking about because the Bible will talk about the power of prayer and we'll read about the power of forgiveness and we'll find examples of power the power of healing what kind of power is Paul talking about I think part of what he's saying is in contrast to what he said we don't have. You don't have the spirit of timidity or the spirit of fear. Here's what you have. I would give it another synonym. I would say what we have is courage. Power of the heart. Courage to stand up and advance in difficult times and circumstances. Courage. And we don't talk a lot about courage in church. We talk about faith and hope and love and other kind of churchy kinds of qualities. But anybody that tries to walk with Christ for any amount of time will find out in a hurry what you really need is courage. Boldness. When our faith is resisted, to find the energy, to find the fire from somewhere to stand and still advance. I do a lot of God talk with Bible studies and sermon kinds of stuff, and 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 I get shocked sometimes because occasionally people will listen to what I'm saying, and and they not only listen but they decide to do stuff because of it, and and that's what really surprises me. I've got a friend who's in a Bible study with me. He's a president of a uh, was a president of a company over in Arlington. Did some airplane business. And uh, after spending some time in Bible study, he said, uh, he said, Greg, man, I've been listening to what you're saying, and you're right on. And i like, right, well, thanks for that. And uh, he said, You know, our company is being taken over by some Germans. And I just have reason to believe that who they are and what they want to do with our company is, is unethical. And I've been hearing what you're saying, and because of that, I'm going to quit, I'm going to resign. And I've got the Christian guy on the outside going, oh man, that's... that's." On the inside I'm going, what are you thinking? I know the kind of money you pull down. I know what you drive. I, that, what are you thinking? Just quitting. But he did. What courage to take his convictions of what he sensed God was calling him to do and make such a bold step. I'll see it sometimes with a single lady who meets a guy who looks like a great guy and they'll date and go out a little bit and then she'll decide. She's got to know his character. She's seeing some fruit of their relationship. And based upon that evidence alone, she feels like it's not a God-honoring relationship and will quit it and move back into a position that may be an experience of loneliness What if no other guy, as good as that guy, comes along? But the courage and the boldness to say, this is what I sense God wants me to do. And she finds the power to step into it and to do it. But the kind of power that Timothy really needed wasn't that kind of boldness. Let me flex a little faith muscle and show you how serious about God I am. It's another kind of courage that we also need. And it's the courage just to persevere right where you are just to stick just to stay just to stand just to endure and those of you who've tried it and know what kind of courage is required for a moment like that Paul is saying Timothy don't you ever forget you have that kind of courage to stay and stand right where you are. You've got the power to finish. Don't quit. Don't stop. You've seen that kind of courage, Paul would be able to say, in me. Paul, when he showed up at Timothy's hometown, was greeted like a god. He and Barnabas showed up and actually healed the guy who was physically challenged. And the town went bananas, bananas said, only the gods could do something like this. And a mob surrounded them and wanted to honor them like gods. And the guys got nuts and said, don't treat us like gods. We're just regular guys like you. And as mobs will go sometimes, they turned on Paul and drug him out of town and stoned him and left him for dead. I can't imagine what it must have been like as Timothy, a little boy, seeing this mob scene take place where these guys are honored and then this guy gets stoned outside the city. But in Acts chapter 14, the Bible says that Paul, after that experience, was surrounded by the disciples and after being left for dead, got up and went back into town. And can't you just see him Just standing, alone, beaten, and bloodied. Just standing and turning around and eyeballing people as a way to say, you thought I had power to heal somebody. I've got the power within me through Christ not to be (laughs) deterred even when you think i'm dead here he still was and paul is reminding timothy that's what is in you because of your faith in christ and then he goes on to say and say you also have the power of love i know for most of us that doesn't sound very impressive In fact, if I were to spread out some superhero powers out here for us and say, okay, you get to pick one of these, everybody. Uh, I've got super strength here. Okay, who wants that? I've got the power of flight. Who wants that? Invisibility right here. Who wants a freeze ray? Uh, Who wants x-ray vision? Who wants love? I mean, that's not a very cool power. These other things are cool powers. What are you going to say? I loved you first. I love you to death. That's no power. What kind of power is that? But Paul says... Because of your faith in Christ, there is within you this this other kind of power. Power of love. If you scratch your head and think about it, you probably have experienced that power being exerted your way. You may have seen it modeled. How love, not just lovey feelings, but the power to see unlovable people. And to see them differently. Because of what Christ has done within us. The power to respond to people, not naturally, but supernaturally, because of the power that's within, the power to love. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago in Dallas Morning News. You probably saw it. Uh, I read it because uh, there were some pictures of guys on motorcycles. And, and, and I like to ride motorcycles. I know I walked up here and the first thing you thought was, that dude's a biker. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, and I like to ride motorcycles, so I saw the article and I started reading it, and it really wasn't so much about motorcycles. It was really about a kid. a uh, kid named DJ, who's 13 years old. And the article went on to describe how DJ grew up in a family where his mom and dad used to beat on each other a whole lot. And when they got tired of beating on one another, they would beat on one of their five kids, especially DJ. State came in, took kids out, split them all up, put them in foster homes, different foster homes, and everybody got adopted but DJ. Could have been because his right hand didn't function, kind of wore it in a cast. Maybe that turned off some adoptive parents. It certainly turned off kids at school because they used to brutally insult him and pick on him at school. This caseworker was so concerned about him because he always just looked down and just seemed like the whole, his whole life was drained out of him. And this caseworker out of desperation called this biker group who called themselves BACA. Bikers Against Child Abuse. And here's what they do. With kids like DJ, they roll up on their bikes and adopt these kids into their biker family. How cool would that be? You get a biker vest with Baca on the back of it. They give you a, a biker name. They spent some time with DJ and said, Your name is Skull. Which happens to be my biker name. <laughs> what do you think it did to that kid to have those people surround him and see something in him that he didn't see for himself and to say, Dude, You belong to us. These bikers will go to court when a kid's testifying against an adult and just sit there in the room to say, we're with you. When a kid gets scared that somebody may come back on them and get them, they'll go to their house and guard it. And that is the power of love. To see it. Others and to say, I see something different and better, especially in you, and I have the power to treat you like it. That didn't just rise up naturally in the human heart. That's a power that comes from somewhere else. Paul says, Timothy, you've got that power. And because of that power of love, you also have this other power. Here in the NIV it says, The power of self-discipline. If you grew up with a King James Bible like I did it, uh, you'll remember uh, there were two different words used to translate that word. It was sound mind. And literally, it means in the original language, just right thinking. The power to think right and the reason it gets translated in different ways is because that right thinking that happens because of the power of God in our life makes us live Right. Changes the way we live. Changes the way we behave. And Paul is saying to Timothy, who's looking at himself and thinking, I don't have the guts to do this job. I don't have the energy to stand up against these kinds of people. I don't have the skills to lead. And to be a person who rises up in this crucial moment of the life of this church and do anything about it, Paul is saying, you've got a power within you to take whatever is in you and to change and to grow it And you can be different than what you are. And what that means for all of us is that when we look inside and we recognize that there's some things that don't match up with what we know that God wants for us, we can say, I've got a power that gives me a confidence so I can say, whatever is in me that shouldn't be there is not going to stay. Because I have a power that can help me live differently. God will change my thinking and ultimately change my living not because I'm going to try harder but because I have a power that's within me to bring that about. I don't have to live at the level of my appetites and at the level of my habits. I can be different Because God has loved me and given me a power so I can be more like Him. And that same deal happened for DJ. These folks surrounded that kid, and after a few months, he was finally adopted. And his Baca family, about five bikers, showed up at the house of the couple who had adopted him. And they threw a party the day that they adopted him. And they filled the house with helium balloons And his new mom said, I don't want to bust the balloon, so let's do something else with him. And she said, DJ, why don't you just write some messages on the balloons, and we'll take them out in the front yard. We'll just let them go. And so his mother grabbed the balloon, gave it to DJ. He got a sharpie, and this is what he wrote on one balloon. He wrote 6 18 08. It was the date he was adopted. And he let it go. And he got another balloon. And he wrote two words on it. I'm free. I'm free. And he let it go. And I put the paper down and I thought, if that is not what God has done for me, I don't know how else to describe it. He came to me like He came to you. And He said, I see something different in you. And I want you. I want you in my family. I will stand guard over you. I will be with you for every breath you take on this earth and for eternity. I want you. And the power of that love began to change some things in me. So that little by little not magically and all at once, He'll come along and say, you know what? It's time to work on this. And I've released a lot of balloons over time where I've been able to say, He's freed me. He's freed me. Not because I'm better than other folks. Not because I've got a stronger willpower. But because there's a power that He's made available to me to bring about that radical change. And he's made it available to all of us. The Bible will call that power the Holy Spirit. God's presence and God's power right inside of us. The scary thing for me is that sometimes I just lose track of that. And while that power is within me, it goes unutilized. Engage it. I spend too much of my time trying on my own or hoping circumstances change. But Paul whispers to me what he whispers to Timothy, and he says, Don't you ever forget, you've got power power of courage and love and self discipline. All you need is a moment like right now to make a little more room for that power to have its work in your life and to say, God, I either forgot or I didn't know that that was available to me. But I'm not coming out of this room until I say to you, that's what I want in my life. I want that to be the story of my life. I want to have that kind of power at work in my life. C.S. Lewis says, we settle for so much less We just put a thin coat of good behavior on the outside of us and hope that nobody scratches too hard instead of being stained to the core all the way through with His power. He said, we settle for just kind of trimming the weeds in our life. Just keep them mowed when what God really wants to do is He wants to plow it all up and He wants to plant a whole new crop of new life. And every once in a while, somebody will say, that's what I want and the power happens all over again.